Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intricasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. There where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition you want, any products. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. Let's hear a quick word from them. Noble Knight is an online game store. D&D, they got that and more. And if you think out-of-print games are nice... Shop Noble Knight, cause they got the best price. And if you got gaming products to sell, then Noble Knight will buy them as well. So go to the place where gaming's the bomb, and head over to NobleKnight.com. And don't forget to tell them the Tone Show sent ya. Today... We're talking about the D&D movie announcement. Yep, we're getting one. But first, let's meet the panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. Who should direct the D&D movie? And here with me all the way from the Southlands is Topher Cohen. Topher, who should direct the D&D movie, buddy? It's a toss-up in my mind. Depends on if you want a a whole good movie. (laughs) (laughs) Or just two-thirds that's really great and the last third that's really bad. <laughs> so if you want the first two-thirds really good and the last third really bad, you get M. Light Shyamalan. <laughs> right? Because let's face it, the, like the first two-thirds of his movies usually are pretty good. And then he gets in that whole twist thing and then you kind of go, really? Seriously? Come on. <laughs> right? So that's my thing. But then the other one I think, and I, I, I may get a little geek rage for this, I kind of want Ben Affleck. I think that, you know, taking a little bit more of the serious side of the D&D world, I think would be a good thing. Or I'm just, you know, already been drinking before I recorded the podcast, so it's toss up. <laughs> Here's the question. So if Ben Affleck was directing, who would he play in the movie? Because uh, clearly he's going to cast himself somewhere, too. Dritz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you have enraged fanboys everywhere. I really have. I really have. You can send that to... Pissed off at tophercohan.com. <laughs> uh, and of course, coming all the way from the Garden State, John Fisher, who do you want to see direct the D&D movie? All right. So I, I thought about this, uh, and I don't want to get too ahead of the discussion, but uh, I had two, two thoughts. The first was I Googled uh, fantasy epic movies, and um, I looked looked at the directors for those and the only one that i didn't like hate was wolfgang peterson mm. so wolfgang peterson okay, okay. or uh, i also looked at the writers of this film and they are they're really bad so i looked <laughs> i thought of directors that elevated bad scripts and i thought james cameron yeah that's never going to happen but <laughs> you know a but, man can dream we have the one and only, all the way from the West Coast, James Hake with us. James, who should hey. direct the D&D movie? Well, if you'd asked me before, if you'd asked me before 2003, I would have said Peter Jackson. But now that the Hobbit movies have kind of come out, maybe I, maybe I won't say Peter Jackson. <laughs> um, 
But you know, when I when I think about shows that really encapsulate what D and D is all about, I always think back to Firefly, and I think about what Joss Whedon did with the Avengers films, and I think, you know, man, I'd love to have him directing a D and D movie. He's got that party dynamic, that banter, the super powerful heroes. They've got that down flat. Yeah, yeah, that's true. A lot of Joss Whedon shows basically already are D and D in their arrangement of characters. You know, they're, they're big ensembles with a lot of quirky people who all work well together, but are all different. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that would be cool. It'd be great if he would write it too. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we know that's not the case. So here's the big thing. Uh, we reported on this a few months ago uh, that the D&D movie rights were in litigation. Everything was settled. It does mean that we are getting a Warner Brothers produced Dungeons and Dragons movie. They already have a script from a guy named David Leslie Jordan who wrote a few big Hollywood movies uh, that are... Not exactly well received. Um, so, uh, Red Riding Hood, uh, Wrath of the Titans, Orphan. He's also written a few episodes of The Walking Dead and Mob City. Uh, he's supposed to write The Conjuring 2. He's a big genre writer, mostly horror. Warner Brothers has attached Roy Lee to produce. Roy Lee uh, has some better titles, in my opinion, and critically acclaimed titles, uh, you know, such as the Lego movie under his belt. He's the executive producer on Bates Motel, which is widely received as something that's great. He's done a lot, a lot of things uh, producer-wise. A lot of it, again, is horror and genre, uh, but then he's also got some crazy fluffy kids movies on there as well. So, you know, good for him, man. He's He's got some great stuff. I'm excited about his name. Not as excited about David Leslie Johnson's name. Um, and then, you know, we've got other people attached to this movie, but we don't have a creative team yet. All we pretty much know about the script so far is that it's taking place in the Forgotten Realms. How high are your hopes for this movie? And where are your expectations for this movie? Uh, because I would say that I have pretty high hopes. Like, I'm hoping that it's really good. But my expectation is that it's probably not going to be that great with the writer that's attached. Uh, but I want to hear from you. And let's start with you, Topher. I can guarantee you that it's going to be better than Dragonlance, Dragons in the Autumn Twilight. <laughs> which by the way people if you haven't seen this it's on youtube it's an animated telling of the first book in the dragon lance series it was um a, a tracy hickman helped adapt george strand wrote the screenplay um had voices with Mo michael rosenbaum Kiefer sutherland and lucy lawless Ooh. were in the voice cast it is horrifically bad it makes you never want to read another fantasy novel as long as you you have eyes it's so bad. So I guarantee you, this movie is going to be better than that. So that's a win. But in, in all seriousness, I, I hope it's good. I really do. I want it to be good. I'm like you, James. I have really high hopes. I want to – I'm not looking for Lord of the Rings. I don't think it's going to be you know, uh, that kind of epic scale. But I want it to be a good fantasy action-adventure film, which is what D&D is. And you know, hopefully you know, the producers and writers will go watch Vin Diesel and Last Winch Hunter and – you know. Watch what we're being told. It's supposed to be a really great action adventure fantasy movie, mm -hmm. and take some cues from it and do something well. But I'm not, you know. Come on, David Leslie Johnson has a 55 and a 10 for his um, 
uh, range on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's not really giving me a lot of hope here. No, no, it certainly is not. James Hake, what about you? Where are your expectations and where are your hopes? Well, like the both of you, my hopes are really high. I want it to be, if not a great movie or even a good movie, I want it to be a really fun movie. Because that's that's what stories in D&D are. Rarely are they great or even good. They're often cliche at best because it's a bunch of a bunch of guys telling a story around their table but it's also fun um when i look at some of the news about this like how basically the story they're adapting to take place in the forgotten realms was already written by david johnson uh under a tentative title of Chainmail. so the script they're using is several years old back before this rights dispute was settled that doesn't give give me high hopes because it sounds like they're they're going to take a story that was made a while ago with nothing tying it to one of D&D's settings involved in it and they're going to try and change some names and fit some situations to uh kind of be like that so it's going to be kind of piecemealed cobbled together but if they can if they can avoid the pitfalls of of trying to shoehorn forgotten realms into a generic fantasy script and just make a cast of characters that the audience has fun watching and uh hopefully have better CGI than that movie with Jeremy Irons in it then <laughs> it's going to it's going to be a great time it's like you know the dragon in that last movie looked like it was made out of play-doh so it, there's only up from here <laughs> If you look at where the bar has been set, uh, it's very low, and it should be pretty easy for a company like Warner Brothers, at least budgetarily, to step over the production values and and make a better-looking movie. I, I think everybody, whenever you buy a big franchise like this, you're looking to create a universe. They don't want to make one D&D movie. They want to make lots and lots of D&D movies and make a ton of money, and Warner Brothers is really looking to do that because Disney owns Star Wars and Marvel and has a lot of really great things going on. They've got Indiana Jones. They can create universes out of that if they want to, and they're guaranteed to make tons and tons of money. Um, you know, Warner Brothers has the DC Comics universe, but that's gotten off to a bit of a rocky start and certainly a slower start. So it'll be interesting to see. So bringing up these um, Disney and, you know, We've seen the road plan between now and 2017 or 2018 or whatever it is with all of the superhero movies coming out. Do you think that that much, that many of those kind of movies coming out uh, is a good thing or a bad thing for a D&D movie? I think it's a good thing because right now what we have are a lot of superhero movies. Um, you know, a, a fair amount, if you don't, count the Hobbit movies, we haven't really had a successful fantasy franchise financially come out, right? Seventh Son uh, didn't do very well. Uh, you're, you're really not seeing anything like that take off, and those movies are done. And even though the Hobbit movies were financially successful, I wouldn't say they were critically successful. Um, so I think this is a, a really good thing that's about to happen. Joey? I think it's going to be a, a great thing for a potential franchise because the only big fantasy ip we have going on is a game of thrones and that's a television ip which 
you know, television is now becoming very, very cinematic. And I think that's only a good thing for television programming. But Game of Thrones is also incredibly dark. It's, uh, it's a very you know, mature series that uh, deals with stuff that not everyone wants to sit back and relax to and, you know, have beer and pretzels while they're watching. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'll bring it up three more times during this call, but I think that w- the litmus test is going to be uh, The Last Witch Hunter, which comes out October this year. If that movie's really well received, and, you know, because they're talking about this being a, a franchise also. You know, if this movie's really well received and go, does well, then I think that bodes well for a D&D movie if it's done well. If this movie isn't, then I think then we're in trouble for on another front. True, true. Uh, John Fisher, for you, where are your expectations and where are your hopes for a D&D movie? I don't have a lot to add, I think, in terms of the expectations because mine are pretty low. I would say that I, 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 I would agree about this, the script being something that was, you know, created so long ago. It's, I mean, essentially created before they, you know, Hasbro really took any interest in D&D like I, that's that's what's kind of making my expectations particularly low I mean Hasbro itself has a from a money-making standpoint has a great track record with movies but from any type of uh you know thoughtful artistic standpoint has hmm. has an absolutely terrible track record and that's with things that lend themselves to the big screen then my expectations are pretty low my only hope is that they don't call it the Dungeons and Dragons movie um <laughs> Just because then people are going, because then there has to be a dungeon and there has to be a dragon, and I really don't want there to be either, frankly, because I think uh, inherently those things are now uh, cliche and repetitive, precisely because they are in Dungeons and Dragons. I I have a hard time imagining them not putting some kind of dragon in this movie just because of the you know the marketing guys are going to say well most people don't know Dungeons and Dragons so you got to have a dragon because it's there in the title and dragons are hot because of Game of Thrones and yada yada if you are going to have a dragon make them a D and D dragon like make them smart make them more than a monster maybe have a good dragon in there instead of a bad one so this movie we know takes place in forgotten realms. And I think we should mention that once there's a director attached, the script could very well change. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of times a script's been written, they get a director on to to direct the movie, and then he brings in his own writers to rewrite the script. Uh, so the script we have now is almost certainly not going to be the final, final thing. At least a few things will get tweaked and changed uh, before and during shooting and then in the editing room. So because this movie takes place in Forgotten Realms, what I want to know from you guys is how much of the novels do you think we're going to see? Like, do you think this could be a Drizzt movie uh, in the sense that it stars him? Do you think Drizzt could show up and maybe make an appearance? Do we think Elminster might be there? Um, You know, I think it would be, again, if you're trying to build a universe, might be pretty smart to bring some of those characters, people no in uh let's start with you james what do you think i have actually not read any of salvatore's forgotten realms novels i (laughs) I think i I read i read one by aaron evans Uh, i read brimstone angels and other than that i've i've listened to some of those free audiobooks that they put out the one that had like weird al yankovic and felicia day reading salvatore stories about drist and that was pretty 
pretty cool. But that's that's the only exposure I've had to our favorite drow elf. And to be honest, I am very neutral on my opinion about him. I haven't had any players who've tried to be him. I haven't seen anything that really makes me think, oh, he's a great character. Oh, he's the worst character ever. Which which makes me think that since he's iconic and the character himself doesn't have any particularly damning traits other than what other people make him out to be, he, he's a great character to appear on the screen because he will literally print money. And and this is this is just my own opinion kind of off off the wall. But the the danger with putting uh, Drow on screen is that they they've got the danger of unless they're entirely CGI coming off a bit as the D and D community episode pointed out a little bit blackfacey with their pure ebon skin and all of that. Yeah, yeah I, I, uh, <laughs> I can't can't really think of anything else to say on that line. Uh, and I think that is uh, that's certainly going to be an issue that I think is going to be hard to get across to a lot of people. Um, I think again, if you go to Gen Con, you certainly see people cosplaying as Drow walking around. Um, mm-hmm. But you could see how uh, from like passerbys who just live in Indianapolis and were walking by the convention center, they were sort of confused whenever they saw a drow, which, you know, might have just been because they're confused, but also could have been because maybe that was kind of offensive in some ways to certain people. So, yeah, and that's that's the really big thing, because if this movie does what Warner Brothers and Hasbro wants it to do, it will do the exact same thing that Avengers did, which is make people who have never played D&D, you know, the people who've never even heard of the Avengers before, it will make millions of people who are uninitiated to the hobby come in and pay the big bucks to see the movie. So there will be a bunch of laymen who don't know a high elf from a dark elf watching Mm -hmm. this movie, which is an incredible thing for the hobby, which is the greatest thing that could possibly happen to the hobby. Yeah. But but they, they, they won't get it. And worse than them not getting it is them taking the the wrong idea of it away from this movie yeah yeah that's a great point that is a really really good point um that hopefully uh, you know i can't imagine hollywood isn't thinking but uh it's been known to happen before Topher, what about you do you think we are going to see forgotten realms uh people show up in the movies uh from the novels and if so in what capacity yeah, I agree with James. You kind of have to, uh, you know, if you want to make that tie-in. The question I have is, when is this going to be set? So, obviously, since um, the Tome Show's resident um, Forgotten Realms aficionado is not on the podcast, I will try to fill in for him. Uh, <laughs> we, I mean, you know, the current world that Fifth Edition is set in is in the era of upheaval. Uh, it takes place around sometime around seventeen seven hundreds DR. Um, and the sundering has happened and completed. So my question is, are they going to this script when it was written? Right, if it's if we're, they're using that script as a base, it was written in the time that the Forgotten Realms was still in the spell plague. I know this sounds completely nerdy, but if you want to pull in an, a D and D audience, that stuff's going to matter. But you don't want to make it so tough that the average per- person watching it's going to be completely lost and not understand. So I think I think what they need to do if they're smart. They'll take a time period, let's say it's the current time period with Sundering, and use characters like Elminster, like the two um, sisters from um, 
the uh, Burning Angels books, uh, like the Paladin, the, the you know use those main characters from the Sundering novels, maybe, right? And then throw in you know sure. avoid Dritz, unfortunately, because I think you're right. I think the whole blackface thing's gonna be an issue, but use you know the younger Wolfgar, the younger Caddybree, the younger Bruner that have now appeared in the books, and, and really kind of use those. But I think they all need to be secondary characters. I think it needs to be like they're doing with episode seven, like we think we're doing with episode seven in star Wars and use those established characters to bring in fans like us, but introduce a new set of heroes that, that are that start in the movie, but then get continued on in novels and such like that, that the movies are really based around. That's, I think their best win, but it's funny. The thing that's hard about D and D is in most people's minds who are fans of Dungeons and Dragons, the heroes are not a set group of people. It's not like the Avengers. Oh, I think of Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. It's I think of my party when I think of D&D, right? right. Uh, I think of the many characters I've played throughout the years. So, yeah, I think, you know, as as cool as it might be to have someone conceive one of those movies, it, it would be you, you want to see a, a party of mismatched adventurers going up there right and i think they tried that in the first D movie and i think for lots of reasons that movie didn't do as well as we wanted it to let's be clear but i think that's what the average fan wants right they want to sit down and have a cinematic version of in their mind the best role-playing game they've ever heard of in their life and so they want the 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 heroes of the of the movie to be you know, the flawed rogue who's trying to go good and the cleric that isn't quite on the path of righteousness and the paladin who only sees everything in black and white and anything that's in remotely black is evil. You know, those very tropes and build a movie around on that and have those characters grow become more than that. So I think that would be the key. Yeah, I think um, going back to that, the idea of that Aven- Avengers, um, I feel like trying to even emulate that Using existing characters or not is a giant waste of time. Definitely having interesting characters is going to be the thing that makes this movie work or not. But the the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, had so much going on that made it work from uh, incredible casting to uh, getting very lucky with a an opening movie that was, you know, a lot of which was ad-libbed that turned out okay. Uh, well, actually, turned out really well. Trying to emulate that, which is probably what they'll do, is a is, is a mistake. The fact that it's set in the Forgotten Realms is a mistake, frankly. But having it set in any D anD D setting to me is a mistake. It would all be it would almost be more compelling if they tried to uh, purposely break the audience's expectations, which I don't think they're going to do. Uh, if I had to choose a story that was already in the Forgotten Realms, I would probably choose one that has Dritz in it. But that's you know. That's got issues for a variety of reasons. So, And I wouldn't pick that just because it's popular. I mean, I, the only books that I've read from the Forgotten Realms, because I haven't read anything in the past five years, really, are the Drift <laughs> books. The, there are Salvatore books, I should say, and the El- Elminster books. Um, and, you know, that's like 30 books. And there's five that are really quite good, and the rest are fine. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what other options are available to them, but it, the Forgotten Realms can be a setting, but it, it should be an afterthought. Like, it, it should be so you don't have to do world building, but they shouldn't 
father taking their story from. I will add my voice to James's that the Brimstone Angels series by Aaron M. Evans is great, and I would love to see those characters in a movie. Yeah. Um, I just don't know that they have the popularity and certainly not the legacy yet of Salvatore's characters. I have the totally opposite opinion of uh, John because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. That's discussion. Um, I, I think that choosing an established D&D setting is perhaps the, the greatest design choice of this film that we've heard of so far. Because when I think of the Sweet Pea movies, I think of, you know, after the, the weird casting and the poor dialogue, I, I think of how it didn't really have anything to do with Dungeons and Dragons other than there being a dragon or two and a dungeon. And which I, I think was the wrong way to go about it. It was it was set in essentially what was someone's homebrew world and that's fine but it, it turns what could be a dungeons and dragons movie into another generic fantasy movie and one without the very very good world building that tends to go into those movies or tv series as i'm thinking of game of thrones and all the world building that went into that one and i think that everything they can do to make it a very dungeons and dragons movie instead of whatever else they could make instead of chainmail is a step in the right direction. Hasbro is going to dictate Hasbro slash which of the coast is going to dictate all of this. They're going to say it needs to be in this setting. It needs to be at this time period. It needs to tie into these products that we want to market along with it. And those products have these characters and you need to make it work. Uh, I mean, no, I, I absolutely agree with what Tilford just said. Uh, and I think that's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> When I, when I think of the movie from the early 2000s, I think of dumb characters that I didn't care about, a stupid plot that I didn't care about, and a script that I cared about less than either of those two things. The fact that it was D&D or someone's, or not an established war, like if it had been set in the Forgotten Realms, but it was the same script, it wouldn't have mattered. The, ter- the movie was terrible. Like it was top to bottom bad. So uh, I mean, putting it in the Forgotten Realms is fine. Like that definitely could add a lot of character and it saves a lot of people a lot of time trying to think of those details. Um, but I, I don't think that that by itself does anything if the story itself isn't compelling. And frankly, the Forgotten Realms is a generic fantasy setting. I mean, it has specific things that happen within it, but it's it's meant to be a generic fantasy setting. That's why it's a popular setting for D&D. That's what people want when they play D&D, but that's not necessarily what people want when they see a movie. Well, it's funny. I wonder if the one thing that it, setting it in uh, a D&D campaign setting gives you that you don't get outside of a uh, campaign setting is you get to have that after credits moment you get to thread the needle for more movies um you know imagine we see a movie in set in the forgotten realms no characters we know ever really show up and then all of a sudden at the end you know uh after the credits or mid-credits stinger we see drizzt come in and introduce himself to the party of four adventurers oh my god you hear 10 percent of the theater freak out 90 percent of the theater goes i don't get it what who is that person you know, um, I'm offended, uh, <laughs> whatever the case may be, um, uh, you know, that gives them the ability to thread the needle. And it also, if they go, I mean, I don't know if the world is ready for a multiverse 
D&D franchise, but, you know, if imagine uh, at the end of the Forgotten Realms movie, an enormous airship from Eberron comes through a portal, uh, you know, that would make... 3% of the audience very happy and 97% of the audience would go what um but uh but yeah so i i think it is a a complicated question about what is the right way to do this which is why it's so hard to make a good dungeons and dragons movie because it's not like adapting a book or a comic book have you seen the super mario brothers movie <laughs> of course oh. okay <laughs> The ending you described is the ending of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Hmm. The fact that it's also the ending of the Avengers doesn't make, like, I agree that would be cool, but the, the movie still has to be good. Or not the Avengers, I apologize, the ending of Iron Man. Right. Uh, oh, and, and totally, I totally agree the movie still has to be good. If the movie isn't good and nobody goes and sees it, it doesn't matter what the end stinger is. But if you don't set it in... You don't get to do that if you don't set it in Forgotten Realms. You don't get to bring okay. interest, you know? So, But yeah, I, I agree. I would much rather have a good movie, uh, a single good D&D movie, than a crappy universe full of D&D movies, or one bad D&D movie that sets up a crappy universe. What do you think a movie needs to have to be a D&D movie? What makes a Dungeons & Dragons movie a Dungeons & Dragons movie? Well, I would say... First of all, it in order to be identifiable as Dungeons and Dragons, you have to sort of boil down. This is kind of a non-answer, but you have to boil down what what it means to, to be Dungeons and Dragons. And there's uh, obviously you can do that with Dungeons and or Dragons, um, which I've already <laughs> said. I don't like either of those in context, but I understand that that would work. I would say from a play standpoint, the most consistent and recognizable like character type is probably going to be a wizard because uh, they've been the most they're they're identifiable and they're the most uh, uh, constant across all the additions I think they all have magic missile fireball lightning bolt whatever uh, but frankly I would figure out a way to make it so that um, the movie is telling the story of six people at a table playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, I don't know how I would do it but that's a, that's what I would do to make it a Dungeons and Dragons movie yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because we just did the 5th edition playtest. There's all this info right now about what players think Dungeons & Dragons is that they could get. I don't know that they care to use that information for this movie, but it would be interesting if they did. I think what John just said about a bunch of people sitting around the table, I think that's a perfect opportunity to plug the trilogy of movies, The Gamers, which... Um, is fantastic and is actually about that. It's a very, very low budget, so so low budget, it's bad but also good sort of movie that's about a bunch of people playing D&D &D and it switches between the real life and the fantasy. And I think seeing that, the huge budget, would be one of the coolest things in the world and I hope they do it. Um... And and yet it's it's been done before with uh, actors who are amateurs and effects that came out of iMovie. So take that where you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes good writing and good story uh, can save you from poor production values and having no money and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
again, I'd rather see a good story uh, with some crappy effects than great effects and a crappy story. Uh, what do you think, Topher? What do you think makes a D&D movie a D&D movie? You got to have those tropes, you know? You've got to have the cleric. You got to have the, the rogue slash thief that's lovable, but, you know, a little bit on the dark side. You've got to have the fighter, the brave fighter. You've got to have the magic user who's frail but powerful. You've got to have the, the you know, the token female character who's a, a bard or an elf or a, maybe the, the thief, right? You've got to have those. And you've got to have those that are recognizable as traditional fantasy tropes. Let's face it, all of the fantasy tropes we have are based on the ones that Gaiax came up with for D&D. So we, totally. so we can just use basic fantasy tropes so that the the people going to see this movie who aren't D&D players will get them. But there has to be enough subtle clues that those of us who play D&D, any edition of D&D, can sit down and, get, and can watch it and go, oh, you know, that's a, yeah, that's an Earth Druid, I can tell. That's cool how they did that. You know, I think that's, that's going to be their problem, really, if you want to know the truth. But I think it's what they have to do. They have to go with the tropes, at least in the beginning. Topher described two movies perfectly. The first is The Magnificent Seven, which is a great movie. Mm-hmm. The second is Hercules starring The Rock. <laughs> Have any of you seen that film? No. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> you so, already know what that film is like. So, I mean, yeah, of course, it gets, that, that could definitely work, but I, I don't know that it'll work just because of that. That's Sure, but I think, you know, it's it's not necessarily what's going to make the movie work, but what will make it a D&D movie, uh, and then you have to make it work from there. I said this earlier in the podcast, but I think that this is this is truly the most important thing to make a D&D movie a D&D movie, is it can't take itself too seriously. It has to find the fun in it. Because in every D&D game that I've ever played and the minute someone starts taking it too seriously uh whether it is the dm or sometimes even some players though i think some players could stand to take it a little more seriously but even some players as soon as you start you start really angsting or brooding about something in the game the whole thing kind of dies you need to have fun with it it is a game and this being an action adventure summer blockbuster i I don't think that we would run much much risk of it being too dark or broody or pseudo-intellectual, but it it has to find that fun. Otherwise, all of the efforts of making it archetypical and working in Dungeons and Dragons and Paladins and Fighters and Fireballs, it's all for nothing. (laughs) Um, Which is interesting because it is a horror writer who is taking on the script, so I wonder if it does have a darker more moody horror bent. That's actually a really good point that James just made. And, um, you know, that actually does remind me of something else that, yeah, something else that makes D&D D&D is when somebody pulls off something insane and it works, uh, maybe it works even though it shouldn't work or it only works because the rules say it do, but if you actually thought about it for a second, it would never possibly work. But, like, anything like that would be a great opportunity for... One, for it to feel like D&D, and two, for the movie not to take itself too seriously. Did we all forget that in 2014, it was announced that um, one of the writers of the Game of Thrones TV show had been hired to write a script for Fox based on Magic the Gathering? 
Mm. No. <laughs> yes, that is correct. I did forget a, that. <laughs> it was a Hasbro and Fox based production produced by Simon Kilgern. Thank you, the internet. Um, hmm. Written uh, by Brian Cogman, which have written who who has written some of what is considered the most fan favorite episodes of Game of Thrones. I argue to say um, that obviously has gone nowhere. It has gone nowhere, which is true. I mean, this movie, uh, just because it's been announced, doesn't mean it's going to happen. Uh, all time, all the time, things like this fall through in Hollywood for tons and tons and tons of reasons. Well, guys, then I think that is going to do it for this episode of The Roundtable. We will continue to speculate as we get more news about the D&D movie because I love movies, guys, and I love D&D. So we're going to be talking about it a lot on this podcast. Uh, so uh, we want to know what you think. Tell us out there uh, in the land of people. Leave us a comment in the show notes for this episode over at thetomeshow.com or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetomeshow. We want to know, who do you think should direct the D&D movie? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you terrified? Do you not really care? What does it take to make a D&D movie? Weigh in on the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. And now, guys, before we go and say goodbye, uh, Topher would like to give a special shout-out. So one of our listeners, he was a big fan of the Roundtable and the Tome Show in general, and a player at the store I help coordinate here in Atlanta, Georgia, in Smyrna, Georgia, Titan Begin Comics, Ryan Richardson, who came back to the hobby because of D&D and came back to, he played many games there after uh, starting with D&D Encounters, uh, recently passed away. And I just wanted to give a shout out to the other people at Titans who knew him. I know he's going to be missed and uh, for people to keep him in his thoughts. And for me to say, just because you only go to a store and play D&D and these people aren't in your home game, doesn't mean you're not building a relationship with them. Get involved. Make sure people are doing good. Care about your fellow gamers. Well said. Well said. And, you know, um, thank you uh, to Ryan for listening. And uh, he will be missed. I'm sorry for your loss, buddy. Uh, okay. Well, I think that is definitely going to do it for this episode of The Roundtable. Uh, where can people find you, John Fisher? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at The Last Fisher. Excellent. Excellent. And where can people find you, James Hake? Uh, you can find me on my Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is James J. Hake, H-A-E-C-K. And you can also find me at jamesjhake.tumblr.com. Excellent, excellent. And James J. Hake is also the editor of uh, Insider Magazine, uh, where you can find all sorts of great 5th edition resources, um, including a free adventure uh, and free articles. So if you want to check it out, we'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. And you can also listen to my interview all about Insider with James. Uh, it's pretty great. Topher Cohen, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on the Twitters um, at Topher ATL. That's T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. They can find me on the Facebook at Topher Cohan, T-O-P-H-E-R-K-O-H-A-N. Also on the Google Pluses at Topher ATL. Uh, and every Wednesday and most Saturdays, I'm at Titans Games and Comics in Smyrna, Georgia, running Adventure Leagues games. So if you're interested in that, come down. If, you're just, if you live in the Southeast at all, reach out to me. I'm the Southeast Regional Coordinator for D&D &D Adventures League. So if you want to know more, reach out and um, let's play some games.
Nice. And what counts as the southeast? The southeast is Virginia all the way to Florida and west to the um, to Arkansas, I think. Excellent. So I'm in your region. You are, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Excellent. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Topher, uh, John, and James. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup, and thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the roundtable.